Are you ready? Hey, you think you can tell us what to do? You think you can tell us what to wear? You think that you're better? Well, you better get ready. Bow to the masters. Break it down! Welcome to I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting, talking mostly sports, mostly in the SEC, and mostly with the Bama bias. And now, time for your hosts. Tom was a regular starter on his peewee football teams. After high school, he took a relatively unknown intramural college football team and had them one win from the playoffs. Late in his college career, he was a two-sport star and relinquished his college eligibility to enter the NBA draft. As an undrafted free agent, he turned to sports gambling and poker to make ends meet. Now he's here to share his life experiences and general sports knowledge with the world. He's Tom Sims, he's Rush Chairman, and he's damn glad to meet ya. His sidekick, who hails from Parts Unknown, Red Bay, he claims he can beat any listener at Galka, which is probably correct considering you guys have like eight listeners. He has three Fortnite Victory Royale solo wins. He's been known to weeble and wobble, but he's never fallen down. He has the face for radio and the voice for newspaper, Mr. Jason Tiffin. And welcome in to the episode 10 of I'm Not Targeting, You're Targeting with your host, Jason Tiffin, and my my sidekick, Tom Sims. Ooh, that's me. Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? Oh, wait a minute. I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. <laughs> and I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. Oh, oh my gosh. We had a, we had a, we just Ron had a, Burgundy? our first cameo, uh, a guest appearance, Ron Burgundy. The reason that Ron is saying, I need you to stop what you're doing, Tom, uh, you know, Trump is always talking about fake news, fake news. Well, our lead in is now fake news. You're talking to a guy last night who got his fourth solo victory in Fortnite, baby. Oh, very nice. Congratulations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> took a took a guy out uh, with a sniper, and he had a with lot of hands. And I got a, uh, that's not a sniper <laughs> rifle, but uh, could have if it had come down to it. Of and, course. Um, and the circle played in my favor a couple of times. It got down to the final three. Of course, I was hiding behind a tree because I'm terrible at building. And uh, I broke into a guy's build actually and hid. And then I heard him about to. I know, and though this is very foreign stuff for you, but if you play Fortnite, you're gonna know what I'm talking about. Uh, I, I heard him jump down because we're about to lose a circle, and he laid a uh, he laid a launch pad, and I came around the corner and blasted him with uh, my tack shotgun, and uh, got all his loot, and then it was just, it was mono e mono made the best man with win, and the best man was Bama Vegas baby. That is my <laughs> username by the way. If any of you listeners would like to squat up or duo up, search Bama Vegas, and we will we will run it baby. <laughs> How old are you again, Tiffin? Uh, 45. 
I love it. I love it. <clears throat> hey, before uh, All right, I, I got to get a, that. I got a, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I got a little quick story for you too. But before I do, we have a dedicated listener out there. That I want to give a little shout out to Miss Haley Lowell. Uh, hope you're uh, hope you're listening uh, again on this episode, Haley, because this may be your only shout out. Uh, now, I got a I got a quick story for you that. Uh, that happened to be Saturday night. If I, if we can squeeze it in here, sure, man. I went to uh, I went to a birthday party for one of our good friends. I mean, we we kind of know them. I say kind of know them. We we know them. They're good friends, but uh, we don't know really any of their other friends. So they're going to be the only people we know at this party. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're there, and we got there Friday night right at around 6 o'clock, which, as you likely know, that's the kickoff of the Mississippi State-Auburn game. Now, they're Auburn fans, big, big Auburn fans, and uh, once I got there, I realized that most of the friends they had there were also Auburn fans. But anyway, we're inside. That that really has no bearing on this story, just a little background. But uh, I'm inside, huddled next to the TV, as I usually am in a party atmosphere, uh, and most other people are outside, but there's there's about six or seven of us guys in there just watching the TV, and I, you know, I try to be nice and sociable, introduce myself to a couple folks, whatnot, but we're, we're watching the game. Um, so, you know, anyway... I ended up cracking what I thought would have been upheld in our friend circle as a solid zinger that should have brought down the house. I mean, I envisioned after coming up with this quick-witted response that I'd be hoisted on their shoulders and the birthday party would mainly just turn into my praise event. So somehow, these guys are talking about competitive hot dog eating. I forgot even how they got on the subject. But anyway, one of the guys proclaims that he's seen an Asian woman before who was a competitive hot dog eater. He then states that she could eat a lot of the guys under the table. This is where I quickly interject that I knew a girl in college like that. (laughs) I got absolutely crickets. Nothing. Not a a chuckle. I did get one weird sideways look. And then they just started continued speaking like I didn't even say anything. I was so beside myself at the occurrence, I took time to send myself an email detailing that exchange so I wouldn't forget it so I could tell you tonight. (laughs) Dude, that's awesome. I mean, needless to say, we didn't exchange phone numbers at the end of the party. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Oh, man. That is a, that's a bunch of barners for you. You know, I don't associate with barners unless I need my uh, dog uh vaccinated or if i need pizza delivered to my house <laughs> they gotta bang up Vic, <laughs> all right for sure uh word of the day tom i think it's your turn oh word of the day on me today today's word of the day is donny brook donny brook donny brook is described in the dictionary as a scene of uproar and disorder or a heated argument and for you novice uh, Donnie Brookers out there, I will kind of give you a little background. Uh, this weekend, Cam Robinson and Leonard Fournette got into a Donnie Brook, as did Marlon Humphrey and Odell Beckham Jr., also a Donnie Brook. Those happened on Sunday, so Tiff and I, I'm not sure if you're aware of them, but uh, no. apparently there was a little Alabama LSU jawing going on in completely separate ball games. That's the only thing I could uh, figure out there. 
Yeah, it makes the most sense. You know, I, the first time I had heard Donnybrook used in a sentence was in Vegas when you and I and Tab were in the cab line, and these jokers kept uh, eyeballing us. And, of course, I was taking umbrage with that. I think I actually unbuttoned the top two buttons of my shirt. <laughs> 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 and, and Tom was like, button it back up, Tiff. We don't want this to turn into a Donnybrook. <laughs> One of my favorite words for years, for sure. All right. We're 640 in, and we've yet to talk the first thing about sports. Uh, and we can go all night, guys. Uh, I'm sure Tom knew a girl in college that falls in that category, too. Um, all right, let's go to winners and losers. Winners, gosh, somebody as bad as I hate it, Auburn is the number one winner from last week. Tom, take it away. Well, like I said, I was at that party, so after I picked up my feelings off the floor Saturday, I proceeded to watch Auburn put together what I felt like was its most complete game of the season. Uh, I think the jury's still out on how good or bad uh, Mississippi State is, but Auburn is definitely living up to my second place in the West prediction right now. Now, watching this game Saturday... State probably had the absolute worst start in a game you could imagine, particularly when you're on the road in the SEC. They took a delay of game on the first play from scrimmage, and they also had another delay of game in the first drive. So in the first four plays that they fielded from scrimmage, they had two delay of games and lost 19 yards. They lost another three yards on their second possession and fumbled the kickoff on their third possession. (laughs) Terrible. Uh, I mean, Auburn got the ball three times, scored three touchdowns, and only had 95 total yards of offense. I actually thought they were going to get out of their funk and make the game competitive after they uh, went down and scored to make it 21-6. to But uh, after that, it was – I mean, it was over. I mean, that, Auburn Auburn hammered them completely, ultimately. Uh, it wasn't even close. And so, you know, again, I'm not sure how good Mississippi State is, but as we kind of discussed last night, Auburn has the toughest strength of schedule in the nation right now. They're currently undefeated. You stick them in the playoff right now if you're going to, uh, if you're going to say, hey, you know, we're going to put start the playoffs now. Who's got the most impressive record to date? It's them. Oh, absolutely. They're, they're one or two for sure. And let's go back. Let's talk about the, uh, the delay of game before the game even begins. All right, here's the deal. If you take a delay of game, it's five yards, repeat first down. So basically, you have, you're, you're first and 15 instead of first and 10. So you've got three plays provided you don't go for it on fourth. You've got three plays to get five yards a play. Three times five is 15. I've never understood, like especially coming out of a, a timeout or, or starting a freaking game, for crying out loud, how does that even happen? But let's say that it, it's about to happen. You're trying to check. Would it not be better to just go ahead and run a quarterback dive and make it second and nine? Then instead of three to get 15, you'd have two to get nine. And you do the math, it'd be four and a half yards, four and a half yards. But that's a, that's another – we can probably do a meaning, whole 15, 20 minutes of meaningless topic on that. Uh, let's get back – let's get to – I need to get to where – what this, uh, this segment's all about, about Auburn winning. And, uh, you know, I called it. I said that Mississippi State would smash them. And a buddy of mine from Birmingham texted and, you know, told me 
good call on that one. And he said we're getting better. He's the one that said that if we if he drank every time we said uh or um, he wouldn't make it past the first segment. So he's a <laughs> high, high praise for Mr. James Ezel. But anyway, James. Uh, you know, Oregon, Oregon is still winning. Auburn plays everyone that's higher ranked than them at home, with the exception of, of uh, LSU. Uh, I fully expect them to beat Florida, which we will get into that later as our game of the week. Um, is it too early to say they control their own destiny? Because I, I feel like they do. Who, Auburn? Of course they do. I mean, <clears throat> there's still, they're still 15 teams in the country that control their own destiny. At least, yeah, but you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, it. I do. It is. It's real early in the game. Uh, you know, of course, Bama, Clemson, or I figure Clemson will, but definitely Bama controls their destiny. Georgia. You might think a team like Auburn would need help, but I mean, I, I they are they've been strong enough to where they're gonna leave no doubt, even even with a loss, even with if they go eleven and one, lose to Bama by three at home. I don't know how you keep them out. I don't. I don't think they will be kept out. But I tell you, uh, we have a winner that will be kept out of the playoffs, Lord willing, this year, and that's Notre Dame. And you, you know my angst for Notre Dame. The listeners know my hatred of Notre Dame. But I, I'm gonna give them credit. I was impressed. I think I. I don't think I had Virginia. And no, actually, I teased Notre Dame down. That's the only only uh, bet I put in on them was uh, teasing. And. Uh, they did not have the Georgia hangover. And, you know, that's the crazy thing. I think they're a better team overall this year than last. But I, I still don't think I've still got them ranked 85th in my official poll. <laughs> but uh, they, they should not make the playoffs unless everybody has two losses. But I was impressed uh, with with them being able to get over the Georgia loss. Uh, you know, like they all, a lot of the people say, don't let Alabama beat you twice. You know, don't let them beat you on Saturday, then beat you the next Saturday because you're licking your wounds and you're mad that you didn't win. And Notre Dame flushed it uh, like a good team should and moved on. So uh, I've got them in the in the winner category. Yeah, last week I mentioned, too, that I was uh, curious about how this game was going to go and if Notre Dame was for real or did they get overhyped because of a close Georgia loss. Now, I'm still not sure I got a conclusive answer Saturday, though. They won the game by 15, which, as you mentioned, also covered the spread. But it was a highly unimpressive outing in my eyes, particularly on the offensive side of the ball. You know, Virginia led at halftime on the road. Now, I don't know if you realize this or not, but Virginia plays in the ACC. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And, you know, they turned the ball over five times in this game, Virginia did. Notre Dame had a seven-yard drive for a TD, and they had a scoop-and-score TD in the game, which was practically the difference in the score, 15 points. But Mm -hmm. Notre Dame only ended up with 322 yards of defense. Now, give defense credit for creating five turnovers and and, and actually scoring off one of them. and, and they only give up four yards total rushing to Virginia. Four. That That's one, two, three, four. That's it. Impressive. So that's a stout defensive effort. Very impressive. And that'll win you a lot of games for sure. But they're going to have to get better on offense to, uh, to make it through their schedule. And, again, we went over this uh, last week or the week before last. Their schedule's not overly impressive. I don't think their schedule is conducive to them – 
playing their way into the playoff. You know, I think that ship has sailed unless there's a lot mm-hmm. of chaos out there because there's not any highly ranked teams left on their schedule. But their schedule is still fairly tough in that, just like I talked about last night about um, schedule strength and playing a lot of middle teams and not necessarily a bunch of high teams and a bunch of low teams. They have a bunch of middling teams on their schedule, which means they're going to have to strap it up every week or most every week at least and and make an effort. So I'll be interested to see if they can uh, hold on and actually get through the season with just one loss. And that might get them some consideration for the playoff if there's some chaos. But uh, I still think they got a long way to go for that offense. Yeah, they do. And, um, you know, probably the two the two named teams they play left is would be Michigan and USC. And, I mean, they just need those teams to, to win and win big. And, I, you know, Too Michigan had USC. their troubles. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, Michigan had their, you know, struggles with Army, then got smoked by Wisconsin. You know, they would have to – Notre Dame would have to beat Michigan soundly and then hope Michigan beat uh, Ohio State to end the year. And I still, like you said – I mean, do you, you – know, and we I can't remember. I've, I talk about this to Daryl. I talk about this to you and Eli and other people. And then I can't remember if we put it on the podcast or not. But, like, if it comes down to the end of the year, Auburn's 11-1, Notre Dame is 11-1, there's no way I'm putting – well, yeah, selfishly I'd put Notre Dame in there if we could yeah. play them. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. but, I mean, the, the, the committee is not going to reward them because – and it's sad that it's – that, you know, last year is not supposed to count. But – I mean, you can't get over the fact that they were non-competitive in in the playoff game, and yeah, I love it. I've I've tweeted that out a few times, and the Clemson people are like, well, we beat Notre Dame, we beat y'all worse than we did Notre Dame. I'm like, well, yeah, you did, but here's the deal, dude. We won a playoff game. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, it's not like we didn't belong. We just got beat yep. that night by y'all, and y'all did it in superb fashion. I mean, tip of the cap, but. You know, if you want to say every loser doesn't belong, then the first team didn't belong is Notre Dame, and then the second team didn't belong would be Oklahoma. So, uh, speaking of losers, and, oh, Goy, you got something else to add? No, I was just uh, complimenting you on your um, your analysis there. It's very nice. Thank you very much. Let's move on to the losers category. Uh, I, I text Tom. Uh, a few losers, and um, we decided on two. We're going to get the first one out of the way because I think we'll have some debate and some good, good, uh, good commentary on the second one. The first loser is Clemson, and I think we've actually put them on the loser segment before. But uh, I mean, they need convincing wins. You know, we talked about. I think we did it last week or week before. And what do they do? They go to U- uh, UNC and. Sh- Possibly should have gotten beat. Definitely could have got taken into overtime, and uh, you know got out by the skin of their teeth. And with with efforts like that, I mean, if they drop one of those a game like that, they are toast. And and this this the close wins are not going to help because they just there's not enough. There's not enough good teams in the ACC. There's not going to be enough good wins. You know the crazy thing is. The best-looking team outside of Clemson right now is Duke, who we just absolutely annihilated in week one. Yep, that's the point we made, uh, uh, like you said, a couple of weeks ago. They were in our loser section, not for having a closed game, but because all the teams in the other uh, in the ACC just sucked and were laying eggs mm-hmm. and weren't – you know, we, we, we made this point, I think, in the absolute first episode we had of how weak ACC was, but they, they've proven to be even weaker than we thought. 
And so that's what landed them on the losers list. And we made the point that because the ACC was so weak that they couldn't afford to lose any games or they'd be they'd be out. You know, they've overcome a game or two a couple times, but not not this year. And, and had, lo and behold, look up what almost happened Saturday. I mean, that game was no fluke either. Carolina played toe-to-toe with them the entire game. Neither team could manage much offense. I think there was only one turnover, if I remember right. And, you know, since the opener, since Clemson's opener, Etufay or Etienne or however you want to call him has rushed for an average of 64 yards per game with a high of 76. Now, he was a Heisman candidate to preseason and, and was in the top three after the first game, you know, but uh, 64 yards oh, per yeah. game since. Uh, Lawrence, 8-5 to five TD uh, to interception and race like you, you stated last night. I mean, Clemson has struggled some offensively earlier in the year against A&M, and we all attributed that to, hey, A&M's a good team. But, you know, since then, A&M has – Look terrible. Lucky to beat Arkansas this past week. Uh, they struggled with a team, Clemson did, struggled with a team who was coming off of back-to-back losses to Wake Forest and Appalachian State. Now, Wake Forest is undefeated. App State's a good double-A team or whatever division they're in. But, you know... There's no excuse for that. If you're going to be the number one team, if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, demand the respect of of being the team to be, to beat, that's that's not the way you go about the business. Now, on the flip side of this, on the absolute flip side of this, I will say this: We've seen this movie before. Last year, they needed a late rally to beat Syracuse. The year before that, they actually lost to Syracuse. In 2016, they lost to unranked Pittsburgh as, as just as big a favorites as they were here now. And you know what? They mm-hmm. made the playoffs all three years and won the title two out of those three. So Dabo knows yeah, how to rally. Yeah. I'll give him that. But they certainly didn't look championship-worthy Saturday. No, they didn't. And uh, you, you, you brought in a great point on, um, on the A&M. It had been perfect. If we could have segued right from the A&M Arkansas comment into our next loser, but alas, we cannot because you kept blathering on about uh, Clemson. <laughs> but that's okay. We, we'll, we will manage. Uh, the second loser, and this could be kind of, I guess, winner loser. Uh, the haves, I said, I emailed Tom and he chose this one. I said the haves and the have-nots of the SEC. And, you know, <clears throat> I'm going to have to spring one on you. Um, I think we do. We might have a middle class. Here's here's the premise: is um, I feel like that there's no middle class this year in the SEC. I feel like it's upper class and lower class. And uh, the one I'm going to spring on you, Missouri, might be the only middle class team. They've been they've been prom- they've shown promise, but then you know they lost in week one to a team they shouldn't have lost to. But anyway, I feel like you know with Bama, Auburn, LSU, Georgia, Florida. Do you think any of the teams I didn't mention with the maybe outside shot of Missouri, I don't see any one of those top five teams losing to any of the other nine teams save Missouri. 
you know, just it, it's usually not like that. Usually you have your, you know, you have your Bama, you have your Georgia, LSU, Auburn creeps in that upper echelon occasionally. Uh, Florida has been there a number of times. And then, you know, your middle team, like Mississippi State, 8-4. and four. Uh, Ole Miss, 8-4. and four. Um, South Carolina, you know, 7-5, and 8-4, 9-3. I just feel like this year it's the haves and the have-nots, and the have-nots are getting worse and worse. And that's the thing. We felt A&M was a, middle, was a middle-class team, and I guess that's what even got me thinking about this, is Arkansas is horrible. And Arkansas should have beat A&M. So I think the losers in this, in this segment are the teams that are not the haves. It's the have-nots. I found this question to be highly interesting when you presented it to me, which is the reason I latched onto it. Uh, I dove into this to see what I could discover uh, after 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 reading it, and you know, I basically considered it a quest, a quest for fun. Uh, right off the bat, <laughs> I see you excluded my Missouri squad, which you tried to backtrack and put them in the middle class just then, but. That's a huge mistake, and you know it. I'm not sure why you don't give them the respect they deserve. It's really disconcerting. But anyway, on to the research. In 2018, that's last year for you laypersons because we are having this podcast in 2019. In 2018, the final poll saw six teams in the SEC ranked in the top 25 and four teams with overall losing records, okay? Mm-hmm. In 17, there were five ranked and four teams with losing records. 16, it was five and five. 15, it was five and four. So in the last, you know, one, two, three, four years, it's been five teams or six teams in the top 25, four teams, five teams, overall losing records to finish mm-hmm. out the year. All right, so... Fast forward to today. Currently, we have six teams ranked, which is, you know, somewhere in, a, in about the, the round we expect. But we also have six teams with losing records right now. Now, I think your question or your hypothesis, if you want to put it that way, was an absolutely excellent observation by you. Because with six teams already with a losing record five weeks into the season, I'm supposing that will only get worse as the year progresses. I mean, typically by this time, most teams have played either two or three out-of-conference games already. And if you play in the SEC, it's almost a given that those out-of-conference games are likely to be the easiest games in your schedule. If you have a losing record now, it's probably going to get worse moving forward. So I foresee six teams being ranked consistently throughout the season because they are some upper echelon teams. Missouri will be cracking into the top 25 this week. Uh, but the eight, the other remaining eight will more than likely struggle with each other to see who can eke out a bowl game. Uh, and those have-nots have their work cut out for them for sure. Unless they play some round-robin wins – you might get one or two teams that, you know, stand out a little bit. Mississippi State, Texas A&M, I'm looking at you guys, but they hadn't shown anything so far. No, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. 
No, they haven't. And you know, when you were when you were you were rattling off the the previous few years, you know, four ranked, four losing records, five ranked, four losing records. I mean, it was a, it was you know you covered the ranked and you covered the losing records and you didn't cover the other teams because there's 14 teams. So let's just use five and five. If you had five ranked and five losing records, well then you have four teams left. That'd be your middle class, don't you agree? That's right. That's exactly what I was making the point yeah. for. I, I probably skated over it there. No, that's fine. And and see, this year with the six and six, that only had that's only two teams left out there, and. You know, I, those two teams will not crack the upper echelon, and they could, you know, get in the in the losing the 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 bottom, uh, the have nots. Of course, maybe those two are the middle class, but I think it's safe to say that the ACC is a little different this year than most years, based on those numbers you just gave us. That's correct. Those two teams are A and M and Mississippi State, by the way. Yeah, and what they both <clears throat> they're both three and two, right? That's correct. That's correct. I think so. All right, uh, let's get uh, that covers winners and losers. Let's get to the meaningless topic of the day. And actually, this would have been awesome if we could have done this last week. Uh, but we were afraid that Jalen might have an off week. The dummy us, you know, he goes out and smokes uh, whoever they played last week, um, Texas Tech. But we felt like we we did we wanted to cover him for the Heisman before he. You know, had a game where he was um, 17 of 40 for you know, 125 yards and 40 yards rushing, and the running backs did all the work. But th- and th- here's the reason why is if you remember, not last Friday, but the Friday before last, USC uh, beat Utah, and they were you know Utah was a small favorite, it was very fishy line, and sure enough, USC beat them. And the what makes that noteworthy is. USC finished the game with their backup quarterback. And what's even more noteworthy is the backup quarterback's really third string because week one, the starter went out. So that put number two is number one, number three is number two. And then number two goes out in the first half of the Utah game and a guy named Matt Fink, not making that up, Matt Fink. <laughs> he might be on the all-name team with Connor Ass Alley. Hey, Fink Connor. comes in and – Beats a uh, beats a ranked team, and that got me to thinking. I was actually driving to uh, to Birmingham and brainstorming over what we could do for meaningless topics of the day, and I got to thinking. You know, back when Tom and I were in college in the mid to late nineties, and maybe even as as recent as ten years ago, if you knocked the starting quarterback out of the game, you could get a pencil, a number two pencil, and you could sharpen it and. And mark pretty hard on the paper that that was going to be a W. Now you couldn't put it in an ink pen, but you could you could come very close. Nowadays, if you knock the starter out, you better be careful with any type of pencil you use because man, the backups are ready to play now more so than ever. And I was so I thought of some examples, and you know, I just, last year Chase Bryce for Clemson comes in, uh, Trevor Lawrence gets knocked out, concussion, he gets concussed. Against Syracuse, Chase Bryce comes in. I looked at the numbers. Those numbers were not good last year, but he did enough. ETN went nuts. He had over 200 yards. But I, if I'm not mistaken, Chase Bryce converted like a fourth and seven uh, that, that would have virtually ended the game if he didn't. So, I mean, he came and did what he had to do. Uh, two years ago, Jake Fromm took over for Eason and went to his first start was at Notre Dame. And, yeah, Notre Dame is the cream puff that we all love, but – 
you know, bottom line, it, it was at it was at South Bend, and from you know took them to victory. I think set nineteen to seventeen, some goofy score. Um, Tua Tungavaloa two years ago takes over for Jalen Hurts out of necessity, and he you know tears it up. This year, uh, Felipe Franks goes out at, at Florida, and Trask comes in and beats Kentucky on the road. So the, I mean, the backup quarterbacks now are ready, and I just I don't really know why and. Tom, I think you've got the reasons of why, you know, we kind of talked about it. I'll let you go over the reasons why we think the backups are much more ready now than they were 20, 25 years ago. Well, I have, I certainly have an opinion. I don't know if it's the hard and fast reasons, but, you know, when I come through high school, when we played high school ball, now granted, I went to a small school just like you, but, you know, this was in the late 80s, early 90s. High school coaches then are, are much like today's high school coaches in the age bracket. You know, you, you've got guys that graduated college in education or history. You know how high school, our, our high school coaches were history teachers and PE coaches and driver's ed teachers. I, I, I'm sure that was the same for most <laughs> most high schools. Mm-hmm. But, oh, yeah. You know, uh, those guys were – Late twenties, early thirties, you know, maybe maybe even a, a long tenured coach in his forties or fifties, and so when you're in the nineties, uh, and that coach is let's say on average thirty five years old, forty years old, whatever it may be, he grew up and went to college in the age of the seventies, uh, you know, maybe even the early eighties. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what? college football was in the 70s maybe even the 60s if he's long tenured enough but 60s 70s and 80s college football was a running offensive machine you had wishbones you had eye formations you had fullbacks out the yin yang every team had three or four fullbacks you know that was a necessity Mm -hmm. you know you get on college campuses and there's not a fullback on the roster uh, it, 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 that's just the type of offenses that they run. And those coaches who come up through that time, through their own high schools, through the colleges, and just like today's coaches, they emulate what they knew. They emulated those teams, those coaches. And so when we're coming up through the 80s and 90s, what are we coached to do? Well, the same things that they knew how to do. Uh, run the ball. You know, we we were we were a first and first and ten run it, second and nine run it, third and seven run a reverse, run a sweep. You know, <laughs> if that if it's long yardage, you sweep instead of run off tackle or a trap play mm-hmm. or something. You know, it's a that's just the kind of the way it was, and that has changed as the colleges evolved. Then the 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 players or the the guys in school that 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 actually played in those colleges or went to those colleges and studied the game. Now those guys are becoming your high school coaches who've been exposed to these spread offenses, these more passing than running teams and that sort of thing. And of course, they're 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 not going to get to high school and have been exposed the whole time to spread offenses and whatnot, and then just go back and read textbooks on how to do wishbone. They're going to go with what they know, and so these offenses are a lot more wide open these days than they used to be. You know, your point was 10, 15, 20 years ago. 
those second string quarterbacks mm-hmm. or whoever it was, they just weren't ready to come in here. But in today's high schools, these guys are sitting there running spread offenses. They're throwing the ball all over the place. Now, some are good and some are bad, but it exposes you to a lot of at least schemes, a lot of knowing what to look for. Uh, you know, we had our quarterback, Matt Rogers. Hey, shout out there, Matt. He had a great arm. He 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 was really good, but I bet he didn't throw. I bet he didn't throw twenty five passes his entire senior year. That's a guess, <laughs> but that that's got to be right. Hey, and and you say, oh y'all, t- heck, yeah. we we were ranked number two in the state for most of the year. <laughs> so I mean, it was just a different time. So I think that has a lot to do with it, particularly on the high school level and and getting these quarterbacks prepared. Uh, it also helps a lot that, you know, unlike when we were we were in school 15, 20 years ago, now most of your elite players that are going to college to play, they'll enroll in January. And so mm-hmm. they're going to have a spring practice and an off-season conditioning. They're going to have eight or nine months actually in that college pro- program and learning a whole heck of a lot before that season gets there, even as a freshman. So there, there's a lot, lot – of stuff going on now that that didn't happen then and and i think that has a whole lot to do with it but you're you're absolutely correct the the freshmen that seem to play even the freshmen at, at south carolina that we just played a couple weeks ago you know we, we run him out of the gym but he had a he had a pretty good day there's no doubt yeah now same you know old miss did the same thing with reese plumley i mean he looked good and Yep. You know, I, I, we were talking about this, and I was I drew a blank when I sent the email to you, and and I was some of the things you said, you know, jogged my memory. Like a great example, Joey Jones. I remember when Joey Jones at Mountain Brook, um, you know, he went no huddle. I, Les Sanders was, you know, I, Les was definitely he was going to be a football coach when he graduated college, and he knew he knew Joey and he knew what he ran. He's like, you, you wouldn't believe it. He said nobody they don't huddle. He said don't huddle the high, entire game. He said the entire team looks to the sideline. They get signaled something in, and they look at the wristbands, and they get ready to go. And I, I went and saw them, and I mean, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. I'd never seen it in my life, and and that's, you know, the early the early college entrance, the seven on seven camps. I mean, now, and I think Texas really started that. That's the state of Texas did a lot of the seven on seven stuff before it was cool, and the quarterbacks are they're ready to they're ready to throw now, and and it and it shows when they come in. I mean, Bo Nix is starting as a as a true freshman. And, you know, Bama, we got uh, Talia, you know, to his brother, but then we've we've got a verbal by this hot shot, you know, Bryce Young out of California. Yeah, um, that's good. You know, he's definitely going to push. Yeah, he does. I mean, he and he's – guess what? He's entering uh, college in January, so he'll have a spring practice. So, Talia will only be – I think Talia came in last January. Yeah, he did. You know, Talia will only have uh, one spring and one college football season over Bryce when he set, when he steps on campus, and so you know you got to figure Bryce will be caught up rather quickly if he's a quick study. Yep, agreed. All right, game of the week uh, this week. We only got one. We usually do a couple, but I man, the 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 slate is lean this week, and I, I guess it's because you have the two buys. You know, Bama's not playing this week where normally we would be playing because uh, you know, we would take our buy before LSU. But we're going with Auburn, Florida. Uh, that was an easy choice. You know, after we made our decision of what the game of the week was. Uh, 
college game day decided to go down there. So they looked for us to lead occasionally, and then in, in this case, it happens. So Tom, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, you get you gotta you gotta follow where the trends are going, and targeting not targeting is definitely there. Uh. So Auburn has fell behind in the first quarter in each of the first three games this year, Oregon, Tulane, and Kent State. Now, Tulane was not an easy game for Auburn, uh, but the Oregon game was really the only one in doubt. However, since they started SEC play, they have jumped quickly ahead in both the A&M and the State games, and that really provided them a springboard for the entire game. They were not challenged in either, either of those contests, thanks in large part to jumping out 14-0 on A&M and 21-zip on State. So in my mind, this is a huge key for Florida this weekend. They're going to have to avoid the early game mistakes and make sure they don't fall for all the eye candy that Gus will throw at them. And you know Gus will sling a lot of it this weekend. As a matter of fact, I put the over-under on trickeration at 10 plays that that, that may be a yeah i was fixing to say somebody's gonna jump on that and i'm gonna lose a lot of money uh <laughs> but you know florida is going to need to throw the ball effectively saturday they've had a difficult time on the ground this year and this will be the best defense they've seen yet trask will need to hit a lot of quick short passes in my opinion that will effectively act like running plays and then, in addition, they're, they're still going to have to take some shots down the field. Now, this is one thing, and I don't even have this on my notes, but it just just sprung to me. When You, you hear that a lot. Oh, they need to take some shots down the field. T- sometimes, and, and, and most teams and quarterbacks are getting better than this, and Clemson was really good at that last year, but sometimes when we say take shots downfield, you have to take shots downfield just because you're one-on-one, not because he's open. You know, you've got to let your guy go and make a play. So if you get a a one-on-one matchup, regardless of whether he's got separation or not, those those are the times you got to throw it up. How many times did Ole Miss do that to us when they beat us, you, you know, those two years? That's all they used to do, oh, yeah, throw yeah, jump balls sure. up. Evan Ingram used to just crush our, our spirits with that sort of thing. But, mm-hmm. but anyway – I don't see Florida running the ball very well Saturday, uh, and that should come as no shock to them. Sorry, top dog. But uh, I mentioned this last (laughs) night in our September roundup. I see this game being a two-touchdown game one way or the other. I'm not sure exactly which side will prevail, but whoever does is going to find a weakness in the other side, and they're going to exploit it. Uh, that team will cruise to a victory. I, I just, I just got a gut feeling on that. Now, if I had to pick which side, I'd give it to the hometown squad. I'm, I'm seeing about 27 to 13 final Florida. I have never hoped you're right more in my life than right now, but I, I'm, I'm just the opposite. I, Auburn will somehow find a way, and and I I do agree. I agree with you last night. You know, it could very easily be double digits, but if it comes down to single-digit game, field goal, whatever, it's going to be Auburn. I'm afraid. I mean, I can't explain. They they have the best defensive, the best defense in the conference, in my opinion. Uh, definitely have the the top defensive lineman, and. Yeah, you know, I, I just don't think Trask. We bragged on him in the previous segment. I just don't think he's going to be up to the up to the ta- Trask will not be up to the task of beating Auburn, unfortunately. Oh, oh, oh. And you know the thing with Gus's 
the thing with Gus's offense is, you know, like you said, the eye candy. And it is, you know, we, we don't know how good Bo Nix is right now because he has not been forced to be a quarterback. He's been forced to be a system quarterback because, you know, picture, you know, close your eyes and picture them in their little sugar huddle. And they break out. Schwartz goes wide. He comes in motion. They snap the ball. We fake to, uh, you know, we, we fake the ball to Booby, who runs a dive. Then we turn our back to the action, and we fake to uh, Schwartz coming across the formation. And we turn, you know, Bo turns, and he's got a one, it's a one-read offense. And, you know, you're looking for yeah. Seth Williams. If he's open, throw it. If he's not open, throw it out of bounds, tuck it, run it, whatever. Or maybe hit your, you know, maybe hit Booby on a safety valve. or Schwartz. I mean, it's very, very simple offense. And You it, keep saying Booby on purpose. I do. And it, it hinges on getting pressure on the quarterback, and they just nobody has been able to do it consistently enough to force them into second and 14, third and 12, where you actually do, if you want to pick up the first down, you do have to read the field. So I, I, I don't know that Florida can hang with them. I'm afraid I'm going Auburn. I'm going Auburn, and I'm going to uh, easily covering the, the three. Oh, nice. We'll, we'll see that yep. together on Saturday, my friend, on the golf course. <laughs> yes, we will. Uh, Maybe. All right, bets from week four. We both went uh, stellar one and one. I had Auburn with a win. That was an easy win. Bama with a loss. Uh, we were 36 and a half when we uh, did the podcast, and we didn't really even come close. Even if they didn't get the garbage touchdown, we still had not covered because what we won 50, what, 59 31. So we, we were outside the number even before, yeah, even before they scored. And I, you know, it's it's dangerous picking Bama until we get our defense straightened out. It's going to be dangerous picking Bama on these high lines because even if we get in the mid to high fifties, we're giving up twenty plus. So yep. uh, you you also went one and one. I did. I had Boston College who almost had the outright win as a dog, but we'll settle for the cover. Ohio State over. That was the Ohio State Nebraska game, and I'd mentioned on this one that I thought Nebraska would ease into the twenties, and this game would get over the total. But they did not get into the 20s, uh, and that was the difference in it going over. Uh, Ohio State head up there in. So uh, I've been on Groundhog Day with my pick so far this year. I think my record has been 1-1 one and one each week, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, uh, I, I thought Ohio State went over. They scored so many points, but now that I checked, they didn't. Um, yeah. All right, we're running out of time. Lines of interest for week five. Who you got? I got Nebraska minus the eight over Northwestern. Nebraska got hammer stomped last week by Ohio State, and Northwestern played a somewhat competitive game against Wisconsin. But I don't think either of those contests accurately represented these squads. I expect Nebraska to rebound and get the cover. My second game, I have Utah State plus 28 over LSU. This is just way too many points. Utah, Utah State's a decent team. They only lost once last year. And they have a close loss to an undefeated Wake team this year. This one will be closer than the experts think. Plus one to my man Corso here. I've got Duke minus five uh, against Pittsburgh. I have no respect for Pitt, even though they beat the defending national champions from two years ago. I, I, they're playing the ACC. Of course, Duke does too. But Duke, Duke looked really good. I think they can they can cover the five. And then I have Maryland, minus 13. I hate taking two favorites, but I'm going to. Dude, Rutgers fired their coach. In week four, after week four, they fired their coach. You know what that means? That means you should have <laughs> fired him last December. <laughs> they have to be in disarray. No doubt. 
All right, that brings us to our, our favorite part, or I know Tom's favorite part, uh, Instagram model of the week. And this one we're going with Brojack. I don't know her real name. I know that's her Instagram moniker is Brojack. That is B-R-O-J-A-Q. She is a Navy vet, an athlete who does motocross. She's a military technical advisor to Hollywood. She loves guns. She has tattoos. Pretty sure this is the first Instagram model of the week that could kick my ass. Uh, I DM'd her and asked her if it'd be okay to include her, and she did not respond. Shocker there. But, no winky face? Uh, we did anyway. I, no <laughs> winky face. And I will take my beating if she decides to dole it out. But, dude, <laughs> she is uh, she's something to look at. I know I sent you a picture. Not even going to ask you because she does not match up to the venerable Deb. But, uh, but Brojack, y'all give her a follow. Yeah, not only that, I saw those guns and tattoos, but Deb will whip her ass. Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take. Uh, it would definitely turn into a Donnie Brook if they got a hold of each other. All right, that wraps up episode ten. Uh, remember, if you're traveling from Gainesville to Auburn this weekend, don't really know why you would be because the game is at Gainesville. But if you are traveling to Auburn, go north till you smell it, and then west until you step in it. <laughs> take it easy, guys. Bye.